Imagine facing 384 years of prison. That was Brian Dawson. Listen in for his story from tragedy to triumph and how he became the CEO of 1819 News. Welcome into this week's edition of Alabama Unfiltered. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Beeson. Allison Sinclair is with me. Amy Beth Shaver is out today. Hey. Allison, where is uh, Amy Beth? <laughs> I'm not worried about it. This is Amy Beth. <laughs> She's looking rough. <laughs> the, the, the contract on the makeup the former miss alabama right here. Yes, yeah right she, here she put on a little weight the and, uh, beauty pageant little, queen yeah well you know, know i'm why. eating my feelings there you go yeah. we haven't even introduced him yet but first well, let me tell uh, everybody okay this uh this podcast is powered by 1819 news go to 1819news.com sign up for the daily detail and the daily newsletter and That's you right. can find this podcast at all your favorite places give us a thumbs up five stars we're everywhere you can find a podcast. Let's bring our special guest in, Brian Dawson, who is the CEO and founder of 1819news.com. Apparently, we were scraping the bottom of the bowl <laughs> That's it. this week. Who can we get? Allison was going crazy. Who can we get? Who can we get? Finally, somebody. I think it was you. Yeah. Let's get Brian. Let's get Brian. Let's Default get the head, to Brian. Let's get the head of the, uh, the head of the company in here. But nobody knows. He has Brian nothing to do. is like... <laughs> he's, he's, He's bored. Let's just use up another part of his day. <laughs> I tried to tell the ladies that, and they were like, oh, no, he has nothing. That's He's right. He I, loves this. I do. This is a good time. There's lots of laughs, and I need more laughs in my life, so here I am. Well, what good. people don't know is that there's, like, no offense. <laughs> that's almost as good. Yeah, that's with like, all it's, like, yeah, it's in the Geneva Convention. Now <laughs> I can say whatever I want. <laughs> right. Like, you are so smart. There's so much in that brain. I'm blushing. I don't know if you would know it. That's, yeah. Like he has, he had, we, we need to sit down. Like, I feel like, and just let you tell us all the things. What I, what I don't things. get is why she says that about you. And then I never <laughs> hear her say like, Oh, well, she God doesn't is say so public. smart. She has complimented she you. Oh, really? Yeah. And Once she's an engineer. And so her standards right. for smart are pretty high. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're in that category. I guess it's so. only That's because true. he's been in prison. That's that right. He's so smart. <laughs> And no, actually, and we're, no, and we're so afraid serious. of him because like, he's an ex-con. So, so, so the funny part is when people ask where I go to school, I'm like, well, I spent some time at Yale. Oh, that was jail, <laughs> jail. So then I went to Penn State. No, that was the state pen. Yeah, I got that backwards too. I don't know what's it's going so on. So good, and it's, it's all cool. true. It's all true. Do you want to give us like a five-minute version of your life and how? I, I don't know if it's possible, but I'm I'm happy to to give you a rundown and we'll see if it takes five. We probably minutes. should do. A so where are you from to start with? Podcast. Where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? Are you from where around you here? From around here. <laughs> Sorry, no, I, I I be from Colorado Springs is where I was born. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Colorado Springs. I spent some time in Germany. My mom joined the army, uh, and grew up um, the latter years of my childhood, teenage years, whatever you right. call it, and. Uh, Wichita, Kansas, and actually a little town south of Wichita called Derby, Kansas. So is that how you learned how to talk right? That's correct. I mean, you speak pretty Southern. Yeah. No, that's just I've been here for like eight years. Oh. Well, you happens. know, it takes some people longer than that, though. It does. It's, it's, it's really, we're now, I will say my dad is was born in Gloucester, Mississippi, raised in West Monroe. So, okay. I mean, okay. I, I is Southern. It, so you got it, some of that. It's in yeah, the blood. No, it's there. All right, right. And he taught you how to speak. That's correct. Okay. And what foods were good and what not. I get it. Because yeah. you do fit in. Well, thank yeah. you. I didn't. The beard. And the beard, the prison. I also beard, <laughs> beard, prison. Uh, I like to deer hunt, eat boiled peanuts, drink sweet tea. Uh, uh, it's a match made in heaven. Yeah, good deal. Yeah. So, oh, the short version. So, 
Um, when I was 23 years old, uh, I was facing 384 years in prison for attempted murder, aggravated robbery. Um, what was the other one? Extortion. There's some um, drugs in there. There was drugs in there. It was all drug related. Um, but where I, I was sitting uh, in the El Paso County Criminal Justice Center, which is the uh, county jail in Calder Springs, Colorado. And uh, I was facing 384 years. And so how that works is um, it's 32 years for one of those. And because they were violent, they stacked them. And because I had that was my sixth felony, anything mm-hmm. over four, it's called the habitual criminal. And so they multiply it by four. So in Colorado, instead of three strikes you're out, it's four strikes you're out? Well, so they have a three strikes you're out, and I just blew past that. <laughs> okay. Seriously, yeah. 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 Well, no, that, standards. that actually happened. Um, the fences are left, short on left, this field. Left three right. in the dust and uh, and then ended up with four. And so they took 32 times three because it was violent, three violent crimes, 32, 32, 32. Mm-hmm. And then they multiplied it by four because it was a four-time habitual criminal. Okay. And so that left me facing 384 years if I didn't take a plea bargain. Right. And so, You'd be pretty old when you get out. Yeah. Why yeah. don't we just say until more, you die? More years than right. our country is old. Right. Right. And so it's a daunting thing. They, they come to you with a, a massive amount of years so that you'll take a plea bargain because – you don't take a plea bargain, you go to trial because your con- our constitution guarantees you a trial of mm-hmm. your peers. And so if you go to trial and if everyone went to trial, the whole system would shut down because there's more people in the system than there is than there is uh, available right, yeah, right. than there is system. And, and then it's also expensive to do trials and things like that. And so if you know that you're dead to rights and you didn't do it, the way they do that is they come and they, they say, well, if you go to trial and lose, you get big, huge sentence. Right. Um, but if you don't want to go to trial, we'll give you this smaller than big, huge sentence. Right. And right. so... <laughs> That's their way of kind of, you know, getting people through the system and, and into it. And so, but how I got there. So I, uh, as I said, was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado. My parents got divorced when I was two years old. I believe the only reason they got married was because um, my mom got pregnant with me. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't be more different. My dad being from what, you know, grew up in Western Louisiana. Uh, my mom was born in Kansas, but grew up in Colorado. My grandfather was a state senator in Colorado. Okay. And so my mom, the daughter of a state senator, wow. my dad, the redneck, right. you know, and that's where you get me. It's a <laughs> pretty perfect mix. Per- perfect actually. mix of, uh, of that. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was it. And, uh, courts gave me to my mom. Um, that was just kind of how it was done then. And so from two to 10, I lived with my mom. My mom wasn't super stable at that point in her life. She loved me. She did everything she could. Um, but you know, she, she didn't have uh, a lot of things. She kind of had a, a troubled upbringing and stuff as well. So, um, but, uh, zero. So I guess two to 10 was very rough. Um, I, I call those formative years and, and, and I always, you know, equate it to, to growing tomatoes in order for tomatoes, you equate like children, you want your children to bear fruit. And and if you want, if you're growing tomatoes, you want big, fat, juicy, healthy tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And in order to get big, fat, juicy, healthy tomatoes, you have to have certain elements, right? So this, this tomato plant needs this much sunshine. It needs this much shade. It needs this kind of nutrients. It needs right. this fertilizer. It needs this. And so right kids are water throughout yeah, time. Exactly. And so kids are the very same. They're very much the same way. And so in those formative years, I lacked a lot of those nutrients that I would have needed to become, you know, a fruitful uh, child. And, um, and what, what I was left with was a lot of, um, anger and resentment and hatred and, uh, low self-esteem, not to get all Freudian and Jungian. Um, but, uh, I, I lack self-esteem big time and I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. Um, when I was 10, uh, I got in a big fight with my mom and was able to convince her to let me move in with my dad. And that was in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, one of the parts of the story I always tell because it comes full circle you know, I, I moved in in Kansas um, with my dad in Wichita. Then we moved to Derby. And I was always the kid in middle school and high school that got put in the friend zone. 
I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. The, the, the Heisman. He was such a ladies' man. He's like, yeah, I don't know what that I is. No idea what you're talking mm, about. I don't know what that is. Right. Yeah. Well, I do. I am. I am very acquainted with the friend zone. Um, and so, because I lacked self confidence and, and had low self esteem, my interactions with the opposite sex led me to being given the Heisman. Like, hey, okay. you want to be my girlfriend? Right. Right. And so. Um, the, oh, don't, don't all, did that to all kinds of yeah, yeah, you can did. tell just by the, just by the, oh, right, I don't know, I never did that to anybody, yeah, no, right, no, no, right, poor right. guy, so, um, <laughs> my, uh, she slides away, <laughs> the first time it happened, I was an eighth grade graduate, I was uh, in eighth grade, I asked this beautiful, incredible, uh, girl to eighth grade graduation dance, mm -hmm. really, I asked my friend to ask her friend to ask her because that's how it's done. Right. She said yes, apparently through that line of communication. And we met and went to eighth grade graduation dance together. Afterwards, I professed my undying love to her and poof, right. I just want to be friends. You might've huh. overdone it. Yeah, maybe probably Possibly. a little, little soon. bit. Could have yeah, waited, yeah. you know, the, but I didn't. One yes. right. So anyway, that was me. That was, that was my interactions with women because of the low self-esteem. This okay. will come full circle. Promise. I was wondering. Yeah. This is going to get where, you. No. Where are we going? Yeah, right. Where are we getting? So that happens to most people. Yeah. Regular people. Well, from what you know, I hear. No, except you, because you're Rico a, Suave, apparently. Right. <laughs> it's the hair. Right. It's the wings. It's the calyx. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, and because of that, I, I had, again, like that was like compounding self-esteem issues when with the rejection. Mm -hmm. Right. And then. So I just wasn't comfortable in my own skin. But when I began to drink, I was comfortable in my own skin. And so I started to drink and drank a lot. And then I got to be 16, got my driver's license, scanned it, made a fake ID. Right. Now I'm the life of the party. I can get everybody, you know, drinks. Right, and, right, and right. Did you have a thing. full beard then too? Not quite. I was working on it. Okay. Yeah. So that would help. Feels weird. No, like were you I'm like talking the, to Scott. Were you like the funny I'm, guy. No, I, I. I mean, were you like the? Yeah, the, I was a class clown, big time. I, I won. I won yeah. a uh, an award for class clown or okay. whatever. They right. didn't call it that. It was did more distinguished. Sports? I did. I was very good at sports. Okay. That was um, yeah. Baseball and football was my was my jam, and um, you know, so I ended up being kind of the party liaison, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the I was the life of the party. That didn't get you any girls. That that did not. Apparently, I you was so drunk Dang. all the time. No, I was actually a fullback and a tight end and a defensive end. What? I ran wait, a, wait, wait. I ran a four eight forty. Had a twenty eight inch vertical. I was a beast. And you couldn't. Wait, we need girls. to see baby hey, Brian pictures. Baby and, Brian. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, just you'll meet my weird. kids, and it's okay. Oh, look, baby Brian. Okay. So where was I? You were at the party. Sorry. Rudely interrupted. Buy, buy you were buying everybody interrupted. drinks. Supplying so I was drinking. Yeah, all those color. things. And, and then, but at, in that, like the only time I ever felt comfortable in my own skin is when I was drinking. And so as I drank, um, that that became a habitual thing. And I would drink to the point of blacking out on a pretty regular basis. And then I started smoking weed. And then I started doing cocaine and those things. And I eventually got into it with my dad. And he said, you, you know, in the beginning of my senior year, you need to quit football and um, go move with your mom in Colorado or you can quit football and go to rehab. And so I quit football and went and moved in with my mom in Colorado, started getting into selling drugs there. And this is the very, very short version. Mm -hmm. um, you can go somewhere and find my story. I know we did it with Joey Clark on the radio right. that's somewhere on our website. Also did it on the, this Alabama life podcast. But, um, the, the, the short version is I moved up through the ranks of selling drugs in Colorado rather quickly. Um, started selling weed. Then I started selling Coke. Then I started doing meth and selling meth and, mm -hmm just exploded to the point where I was pushing drugs for cartels in Colorado Springs. Right. Um, and it was basically the stuff that you see in movies, right? It was, mm -hmm. it was crazy. And then, um, like Ozark, I've not seen Ozark. Oh, I know a lot it's of money. 
No, nah, it was less about the money for me. You know, the people I was working with had tons of money and tons of drugs and all that mm -hmm. other stuff. To me, it was about the lifestyle and the, like just the party lifestyle and always mm -hmm. being able to, you know, be high or do whatever. And did you find your place? Like, um, was it, was it a, you can't be well supported. Were you in the but family? But it gave you significance. I mean, was it, no, I mean, so what you guys don't understand is like drug lifestyle is literally like you wake up just to go get more drugs and sell more drugs and do more drugs and buy more drugs and get okay. more, you know, and thing. And that that's really, that was the, the pursuit of that life. And that's all it was. It's really a form of idolatry when you look back on it kind of through a biblical lens. Mm -hmm. And that was me and that was my life. And I pursued that and got really, really good at that. The same things that make me good at what I do for a living now, as far as being able to, you know, sell network, those right. type of things, um, made me good at that. And one of the things that a lot of, um, you know, um, higher ranking, uh, people that push drugs in the, in the, in the area, one of the things they liked about me is that if I said I was going to do something, I did it. I was reliable. I showed up on time. And so even as a drug addict, I still had these certain qualities that made me reliable. <laughs> You're a dang good employee. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so, <laughs> And I'm a white guy that got them into a uh, clientele that they couldn't easily reach, right? Being okay. looking like this. So there was that, and <clears throat> that all basically came to a head. Um, I uh, Some of my drug connections got um, arrested, and so I went into doing some other things, and I was in, involved in stealing motorcycles and things like that. And um, a guy got caught with one of them and then told on me, and then it went on like a chain of all the these areas where we had stolen motorcycles and stuff. Everything got caught, got busted. I got arrested. Uh, I was in county jail, and they give you what's called a discovery, which is basically all the evidence that the state has against you. Right. And it tells you all the people that told on you. And I'm like, oh, whoa. So I bonded out, and I went after these people. And, and one of the guys that told on me, I went in, um, went, in, went, went to his house, knocked on the door. He opened the door. I went in there and beat him nearly to death. And that's right. where the attempted murder, extortion, aggravated robbery came from. Right. And I got arrested for that, got charged with that, bonded out again. And that's where all the felonies came from is I would get arrested, bond out, catch a case, get arrested, get probation, catch a case, get arrested, bond out, catch a case. And I just kept doing that over and over and over again. And so I did that. Um, and then uh, I bonded out and I kind of calmed down after that. But I also knew that I wasn't going to be going to um, I wasn't going to be going to my court date. I had made okay. up my mind about right, that. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I bonded out and I'm like, I'm gone. And the plan was to go to California and then down to Mexico Never made it. Never nothing ever worked out. Um, apparently, because I was high, <laughs> I like that song. <laughs> okay, because I was high. Anyway, so uh, that didn't work out. But I was in this safe house in Colorado Springs, and leading up to the the safe house, I had gotten away numerous times from the cops, like where they were like on me, and poof, I somehow got away. Poof, somehow mm -hmm. got away. Tied in. And so I ended up being like one of the most wanted criminals in Colorado Springs, and. They had finally found me. Someone told them about the safe house that I was staying in. And right in that neighborhood, they had, um, what would you call them? Basically, like, stops set up to where they're stopping cars, you know, and showing them pictures of me. Like, hey, have you seen him? Oh He's armed. Goodness. He has drugs. Really? He's this. That oh, yeah. is the movie. There was a roadblock for you. Yeah, well, a bunch of them in this whole neighborhood. Anywhere where I was known to be, they had it set up, and they were doing that. And so they had, like, pictures with, like, an AK-47 on it. It's like, I never had an AK-47. Right. Like, right. But they were just like trying to make me look super more nefarious right. than so I was. So people would turn you in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's very dangerous. Where is he? How did you get to be the one they're doing that? There had to be people meaner and rougher, higher up than maybe you. Maybe not. Why were you, maybe, or is that not the case? I mean, you were the bad guy. One of them, yeah. I was, okay. I mean, I was. I had a, again, it's a weird thing. I'm not trying to brag about it because right. it wasn't a good thing, but that was who I was. Right. So, huh. yeah. So they caught you. They, they caught me. And so how they caught me was in kind of spectacular fashion. And so I'm in my safe house in the same neighborhood where they're putting up all these, you know, things. 
uh, roadblocks. That's what they're when called. When you say safe house, what does that mean? So I was in an apartment. Like, no, where you drop not, off a baby? No, no. It was uh, it was uh, it was an apartment on a, on the third story, um, literally in Colorado Springs. It was off of uh, like Union and LaSalle was the crossroads. And there's an apartment building here and an apartment mm-hmm. building here. I was in here. I was on the third story. Right. This is the drug safe house. <laughs> yes. Okay. It was, oh, well, it, was, it, was it wasn't a drug the, safe house. It was a, I'm, no. It was a Brian's on the run safe house. Okay. That's so what you're it was. just yeah. going to say that. I'm just there. where you were hiding. Yeah. Hiding. Oh. Okay. I pictured you like. Okay. Yes. I got it. So I'm there, um, and uh, I'm. I, I wake up, and it was weird. You know, weird things that you remember. I woke up. I smoked some weed. I was watching the Chappelle show, eating bratwurst. I looked out the window. I know it's weird details. I and I looked out the window, and I saw. Uh, so I was in this building. There's a building here, and I saw the front end of a cop car, and I knew mm-hmm. that the gig was up essentially. Okay. Right at that right. point. And so uh, the gig is up. And so I had a retro recliner, like a 70s recliner that was in there. And that was about all there was. There was the TV on the floor. There was this retro recliner. I had like a little mattress laying on the floor and then the kind of kitchen stuff. And I took a nylon repelling rope and tied it to the bottom of this retro recliner. And then like every 18 inches, I did a double knot to climb. And the recliner was wider than the window. Okay. Okay. So we wouldn't come through. Yeah. And so... Oh, see, the I told doors, you he was so smart. The <laughs> doors are on the inside, right? So it's an apartment with inside doors, like in a hallway. Mm-hmm. And they don't know which apartment I'm in. And so the, I hear them, boom, 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 Colorado Springs police, open up, boom, kick the door in. And they're like three or four apartments down. And I'm like, okay, I've got time. I kick the screen out of the window, throw my bag Sweating. out the window, wrap the rope around my hand and just jump, right? And so I jump and I'm hanging from the third story window and I'm hanging like that. And what I didn't know is there was a surveillance van in the back because I looked to see if there's any cops out there and there was right. nothing. Right. And I'm hanging, and then all of a sudden, like fifty or sixty cops come swarming around either side of the apartment building. They right. weren't going to let me get away this time. Right. right? And so right. I look up. There's cops above me. They're now in the apartment with guns drawn on me above my head. I look right. down. Cops all. There's no tasers. It's all pistols. Right. right. Cop dogs barking. I get the on the ground. Right. It's like well, right. um, I don't know where else I'm going to go. Right. Unwrapped my hand, let go, and I fell, uh, landed on the ground. They put their knee in my back, cuffed me, and, and put me in the back of the cop car, and that was June 19th of 2007. And um, it's weird things that you remember. Again, on that day, they were playing um, Rihanna Umbrella was the song that was on when I was in the back of the cop car driving <laughs> off to the county jail. I, what I happens when you hear that song today? It sends me back. <laughs> no, it doesn't really. Do um, I, I probably don't ever hear it, so I don't know what would Can happen. Sing it. This would be some kind of weird, you know, you know, psychological experiment to just play that when I'm somewhere and I start sweating and <laughs> freaking out. So, so, um, they, so they so they go through the process. They find you guilty. Yeah, no, no, no. You so, plead. Yeah, I plead. Yeah. So I end up in county jail. I'm, and this is way longer than five minutes. But that's what I'm saying. You this can't tell this so story good. in less than five minutes. So, um, I I end up in county jail. Um, I'm thinking I'm going to go do the rest of my life in prison. So I go in there and you kind of got to be like, you got to make a name for yourself. I made a name for myself on the street. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in County jail and I'm fixing to go to prison. And so now I kind of got to make a name for myself again. So that you'll survive in prison. Exactly. Right. And so that you're respected and people know who you are and like, you don't get messed with. Cause are if, you if consciously you weak, thinking? Oh, absolutely. This? Okay. So yeah. you got to come in with a good reputation. Yeah. You come in with a good reputation. You keep your word. You can fight, like you can defend yourself. You're yeah. not, you're not a punk is kind of the, the terminology they use. And, uh, people can't just come and punk you and take your stuff essentially. Okay. Right. And, um, so you want to have that reputation. And again, prison was nowhere near as bad as I had it in my mind. Cause I hadn't been yet. I'd just been to County jail. Okay. 
And so I have that idea in my head, though. I've got to be this bad dude. i got to be tough. And so I'm hanging out with these gangs and stuff in the county jail. And they're like, you know, go beat this guy up. And I went and beat that dude up. Caught, you know, caught another case, an assault case when I'm in county jail. Mm-hmm. Went to the hole for a little bit. Went back to another unit. Um, got into another fight that someone said, hey, go beat that guy up. Went and beat that guy up really bad. Caught another assault case. And finally, they put me in administrative segregation, which is um, you're removed from general. Like they call it general Solitary. pop. Gen pop is general mm-hmm. population. Ad seg is administrative segregation. It meant I was in a cell by myself and they weren't going to let me out of that cell except one hour a day. So I'm in there for 23 hours a day. Right. I get one hour out to take a shower, make a phone call, and then I'm back in that cell. And I was going to go to prison from that cell because they weren't going to let me back out in general population because of the assaults that I caught while I was in there. Okay. So in that process, I'm, I'm, I'm pacing in, um, in, in, in my, my jail. So there's not a lot else to do. Right. There's laying. Right. And there's pacing. Those, right. those were my, you're you not know, doing like in the movies, doing all the push-ups and the sit-ups. No, that's the, uh, it's it gets people did it. I couldn't stand it because like you get sweaty and then the room gets sweaty and then you're just like right. <laughs> then you're just in the wet. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Now I had that hour out and you could go do you know work out and then right. go take a shower and then you know that was kind of my thing. Right. Um. So I'm in there and I'm pacing and I have this epiphany and it was kind of it was it, God hasn't saved me yet, mm-hmm. but it was God kind of what I would call the effectual call. And it was God working on me. And what happened is I realized that this was my fault. And, yeah. what? and, and, you know, that sounds real simple to us normal mm-hmm. human beings that are responsible. But up until that point, I'd blamed my mom. You know, it was my mom's fault. It was my dad's fault. It was the right. cop's fault. Right. It was the judge's fault. It was the district attorney's fault. It was the system's fault. I'm I was, not sure I us normal people always say it's our fault. Yeah, anyway. that's so true. Maybe, so maybe there was an epiphany. So who's praying uh, for you um, in your family? Anybody? You know, for sure, my grandma on my dad's side, we call her Mamu. She's mm-hmm. a credible woman of God. And a funny story there, uh, I mentioned this on my, one of my last podcasts, but my dad grew up in West Monroe, Louisiana. He grew up with Phil Robertson and all the guys at Duck Dynasty, right? Okay. And so, my, so the beard. Yeah, my, yeah, yeah, there it is. Great. And then um, my grandma, Mamu, taught Sunday school with Miss Kay for like 30 years. So I had a friend that actually went down to see Phil Robertson about something. And I said, well, tell him that your, you know, your friend is Betty Dawson's grandson. Okay. And he tells, you know, tells her or tells him about her and the whole thing. And Phil Robertson just stops in his tracks and says, Betty Dawson is the most godly woman I've ever met in my life. Mm. And that's, that's, that's the person strong. that I had praying for okay. me, right, right when I'm in there. Yeah. And so her and many others, I'm sure my mom was, you know, but by far the strongest Christian in my family at that time was definitely Mamu for sure. Right. So, um, but I have this epiphany and I realized this is my fault. And when I, the dot that I connected was if, if my bad choices created these bad circumstances, that means that if I make good choices, I can create good circumstances. And it was like this math equation you know, the meme with the lady with all the math equations like running yeah. across her face. Like that was essentially what was happening in my head. And it was the most liberating feeling in the world. I realized, wait a second. Being a victim yeah, is not where I was, it's at. And, and, I, and I, I can choose to have a better life and I can do things. And I'm, I'm responsible for how I think, how I feel, and how I act. Right. That was the epiphany. Whoa. And so I began to make changes. They were slight changes. I mean, there's not a lot of changes you make in a cell. But mm-hmm. it was enough to where my grandma took notice. And then so they brought me my plea bargain. And the plea bargain they brought me was 32 years with a crime of violence. Okay. Okay. And so they were going to give me, I think, first degree assault. Uh, maybe it was with a deadly weapon. I, I don't think it was. I think it was just first degree assault. And it was uh, first degree assault, 32 years with a crime of violence sentence enhancer. This is the plea bargain you got to take. And you're going to trial tomorrow. And you can either take the 32 or you can get 384. I was wrecked. I went, um, called my grandma in tears when you're 23 years old. There's not a big difference between 32 years and 384 yeah. years. Right. It's pretty much more than like you can bear. 
And so I, um, I, I, you know, I just kind of let it all out. And she said, look, and up to this point, my family had cut me off, cut me off and they needed to, right. Right. They needed to. And so she's like, I can tell something's changed in you. She could sense, right. And this is grandma Barb. This isn't man moves. And, and, and grandma Barb's a huge, huge piece of my life and my story too. You know, we, I grew up at her house for a good chunk of my childhood. Right. Um, and so called her, she's like, I can tell something's changed. And she's like, I don't have a lot of money, but we're going to try and get you some kind of, kind of a lawyer. Right. So that you don't have this public defender. Um, and it wasn't was just trying to defend was bad. Right, yeah. Right. I he mean, just, but she's, that's what she's she overwhelmed. Right. Yes. And, yes. and so, um, all these miracles happen. I, I, we're able to get the lawyer, get the lawyer for an affordable price and then get the lawyer to where he's retained and he's actually my attorney all in a 24 hour period. And what happened is we went to court so that I was going to start trial or take my plea bargain that day. Mm-hmm. And we said, Hey, he has a new attorney. Can we punt? And the, the judge said, no, you have to, you, you have to decide. Well, I'm like, man. And so I'm sitting there like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And uh, one of the witnesses that was supposed to show up for my trial, if I went to trial that day, didn't show up. And so they had to kick it off two Uh, weeks. And in that two weeks, he was able to retain me and he got me into what's called a mediation hearing, which is great for me because it's negotiating. And uh, it's basically a horse trading. So the district attorney's over here. I'm over here with my attorney and there's a retired judge, Judge Toth, that would go back and forth. From this room. negotiation, is it separate rooms. Yeah, separate okay. rooms. Yeah, well, I'm familiar with some of those. This is your thing. Yeah, negotiating, and, and and I had a strong hand too because it was Martin Luther King Day. It was a holiday. We were never able to get our calendars synced up, and so they're like, "Well, let's just do it on Martin Luther King Day." So I see the district attorney. She's not the district attorney. She's one of the you know sub district attorneys or whatever for the area, and she's in there in her pajamas. You know what I mean? It's snowing outside and it's right, a holiday. Right, right. And she doesn't want to be there, and I'm like, I got all day. I got right. like 384 years. Right. And so. I took my time, was very slow and, you know, made sure it was like taking forever. And then finally, you know, they came back 20 years. And then I said, well, I think I should only get 10 years. And they came back, da, 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 da. And they came back to 15 years. And she said, look, you got two assault cases while you were in county jail. There's no way I'm dropping this crime of violence. And so I told my lawyer, I said, look, you go in there and tell her and don't tell the judge. I said, you walk in there and tell her that I don't want to end up in, in Lyman, which is a one of the bad prisons in Colorado. I don't want to end up in Lyman with swastikas all over my face. I want to change my life. I need an opportunity to change my life. Right. Tell her I'll give her a year if she drops that crime of violence. Mm. Right. And he walked in there and told her that. And she said, okay. And so she got her 16 years instead of 15. I okay. got the crime of violence dropped. And what that means, crime of violence in Colorado, you're going to do 70, 75% you do most of your time. Of your most time. Of your time. Okay. You're not going to be eligible for some of the education programs and stuff like that. And right. so I knew that that was going to make a big difference. And so... Um, got done with that. It's probably the happiest person ever in the history of the world to be sentenced to 16 years. Right? Mm-hmm. Woohoo! 16 Way better years. than right. 384. Yeah, but you know, parole or something's coming if yeah. you do right, especially with that nonviolent sentence. And so, I ended up getting shipped off to prison. Um, they sent me to Denver Reception Diagnostic Center. That's when it all became very real. That's the part of the story I always tell. Is um, you know, I'm 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 handcuffed, and there's I'm it's it's called being shackled. So I'm handcuffed, and my handcuffs are chained to my belt, and my belt is chained to my feet that are mm-hmm. handcuffed, mm-hmm. foot foot cuffed. Right, right. And so I'm I'm <laughs> shackled, and I'm on this bus, and you're riding in the bus, and you pull up to this building, and it's the Denver Reception Diagnostic Center. It's it's a prison. And you pull up, and there's row upon row of razor wire, mm. right? right? And there's bob wire, razor wire. There's a gun tower with armed guards on it, and you know they're there to shoot you if you do something you're not supposed to, like you know. Right. And it just becomes very sobering and real that. I'm thinking to go to prison. You know what I mean? Like it became like very it, apparent. It 
didn't hit you before? No, no. Um, I was in county. You're used to county I, jail. Yeah, I'm like in county, kinda... and I know I'm going to prison. But man, it's yeah. very. Yeah. You feel the weightiness of it, and so, and you don't know what prison you're going to, and that's where they decide where they're going to send you, right? And so, <clears throat> I end up going, um, and uh, going in there. They, they, you know, they assess you. They see if you're involved in any gangs. They see what your medical needs are. Blah 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 blah. And then they send you to a prison. And I end up getting sent to Werfno County Correctional Center, which is in Walsenburg, Colorado. It's a private prison. Uh, it's called um, CCA then, but it's now Core Civic. I'm sure you've heard about some of that in your Senate right, days. Right, I've heard of some of them. Yeah, and so I went to a, that that prison in Walsenburg, and the first unit I walk into, this guy comes up to me. His name's Charles Frederick. And he comes up and he goes, my name's Charles, and I'm a Christian. And he's a big dude, even bigger than me, and he had a Semper Fi tattoo on his arm. Right. And I'm like, well— Charles, you look like you know your way around the joint, but um, you can leave all that Jesus stuff at the door because I don't want to hear about it. You said that. Yeah. I said, but we can be friends. And he said, okay. And so he just befriended me. And so you go in there and, you know, you got like your, you know, a couple sets of greens and a couple sets of undies and like a cup and a spoon. Like that's what you're in there with, right? And so he's been in there for years. And so he's got sweats, you know, soups, coffee, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so he's hitting me with all this stuff and just being my friend. Mm Mm-hmm. And that went on, and he was his key. He coached softball, and I joined a softball team, and he used that as a ministry opportunity to minister to people. And as conversation would allow, he would plant gospel seeds. He was never browbeating me or anything like that. And so he would just teach me, you know, talk to me, ask me questions, and was just a good friend. Right. And um, he ended up getting shipped off to another prison. Uh, they closed that prison down. I went to Bent County Correctional Center, uh, which is in Los Angeles, uh, Colorado. And uh, I was there for about six months, and then I got sent to another prison, which was in, it's called Arrowhead, which is in Canyon City, Colorado. Why do they move people around so much? So your security level drops. And okay. so so the first one was because they closed the prison. Okay. So they closed that prison, and then they moved me to Bent County Correctional uh, in, in Los Animas. And that was medium security, which is still pretty, pretty not, you know, pretty rough. Um, not maximum, so you were at but max or top over here? No, I was, at, I was at medium to start with. Okay, I was, so I went from I was never private medium, medium to yeah. another medium. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So... Then went medium, uh, and then they lowered me to what's called like medium high or me. I forget what it was called. It was uh, like it wasn't minimum. Rare? It was like yeah, it's like medium rare. I guess would be the best way. I forget. I forget what the the name of it is. Someone was going to watch this podcast. They're going to text me. Who's what it is? I can't remember. Really right. Forgot Austin. So, um, so yeah, I was in that. So I wasn't at like the camp cupcake with no fence. You know what I mean? Right. And like like water polo and stuff that they do or whatever they do with those low ones that I never made it to. But um. So I was, they have a fence, but that was really it. And like, you could leave and like go to work and stuff, but they made a mistake sending me to Arrowhead because my sentence was too big and my crime did not match being at Arrowhead. And they realized after I was there for a month and it's up in the mountains and I'm like, this is great. You know, right. they've got like gardens and stuff there. And so the food's really good and you're up in the mountains. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. Right. And then they're like, pack your stuff, you're remote going to Sterling. And I'm like, oh. uh. <laughs> and it was funny because the reputation of Sterling Correctional Facility within the Colorado prison system is like, you don't ever want to go there. It's awful. It's horrible. And so I have all these things, you know, and again, this is a trust in God thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. And I was all about trying to better myself. So when I first got to, to Walsenburg, not only was I friends with Charles, but I took my GED. I helped tutor people. I was always involved in programs. I was always trying to better myself. And, um, they didn't have a whole lot at Bent County. Arrowhead had pretty much nothing because it was a minimum. It was like a work mm-hmm. camp. And so they end up sending me to Sterling. And I get to Sterling, and two things happen. The first thing that happened, I walk out on the yard. The first person I see is Charles. Ah, There's Charles again. Okay. And the other thing, I, I look at their education building, and it's bigger than Arrowhead's whole facility. Okay. It's a massive wow. prison. It's the biggest prison in Colorado that's a state-level prison. They have federal prisons there, but this is the state prison. 
and it's just massive education building full of, you know, they've got college classes, they've got um, graphic design, printing technologies, computer information systems, welding, culinary. Oh my goodness. Have everything. Have everything. And I'm like, I can't believe I didn't want to come here. Like, this is right. like, you know, Mecca of trying to change my life. And so I got in there and Charles began to work on me. I began to get in the education programs. I took some graphic design, a lot of the stuff that kind of helped me do some of this stuff. And not that I did the graphic design, but like, anyway, a, a lot of skills that I learned there that were very directly applicable to what I did when I got out. Right. Okay. And so took computer information systems, graphic design, printing technologies, different stuff. Um, doing that while Charles is, you know, continuing to minister to me. And he says, Hey, look, Brian, you, uh, you got, are going to have parole coming up in a few years. You should really get some certificates. You know, you need to get in some of these classes. And I'm like, sure, yeah, sign me up. Well, he's the chaplain's assistant, and that should have been my first clue. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but he signed me up for some of these, some of these their faith-based programs. Okay. And so he swindizzled <laughs> me into uh, into these faith-based programs. And the first one, though, it was really cool. It was kind of come as you are. It's a bunch of other really strong Christian dudes in there that, that were very much like Charles. And I'm like, wow, this is fun. And I didn't want to admit it, but I really enjoyed the fellowship with these guys. Right. And that, that class ended, and I went to Charles. I'm like, hey, man, if you can get me in another one of those classes, you know, I need a certificate. You know? <laughs> right. And so he he gets me in, and I and I go. And uh, the, this one was called The Truth Project. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. It's done by Focus on the Family, a guy named Dr. Del Tackett, um, someone I need to have on my podcast. He's fantastic. Um, strong Christian worldview apologetics course. Okay. And um, <clears throat> it's very much not come as you are. It's this is what the Bible says. And that really challenged me, and I didn't like it. Because I still wasn't a Christian yet. And so I would sit at my table. They'd do an hour lesson, and then it would be an hour of table discussion. And I would just argue with the people and tell them how stupid they were for what they believed. Right? And so I'm, I'm telling them all. And, again, you got to remember, these, these might have been Christians, but they're still convicts. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, you, you guys are stupid. I can't believe you believe this. And, like, right. I'm fixing to get in fights with these guys. And um, I end up going back, you know, leaving there, going back to my unit. So the education building is here. My unit's over here and there's a sidewalk that takes you back. And I'm walking with Charles and Charles just looks at me and says, Brian, why don't you, why don't you give him a chance? And I've been told that a million times. And, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, it was like week three and, and the truth project. And I said, okay, I'll give him a chance. And so kind of flashing back a little bit when I lived You're in talking about Jesus. Give, yeah. Give Jesus yeah. a chance. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I good. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> just making sure. <laughs> not, making sure. Not the guy next door. Uh, right. Not, not anybody. Yikes. Right. Right. So, uh, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Got it. So giving Jesus a chance. Right. And, um, you know, I had gone to church when I was younger. Uh, my mom joined the army and I lived in Mannheim, Germany, went to Rhine River Baptist Church. Um, and, and in my time there, I was around Christians and I knew that God was real and I wanted what these people had. Ended up having kind of a bad experience there that... I didn't really understand what happened, but we stopped going to the church. Um, and so I kind of had a bad taste in my mouth towards Christians, but I knew mm-hmm. that this God was real. And so from that moment, I was like nine years old forward. I always prayed and I knew God was real, but I didn't understand how Jesus factored into okay. it. And I always prayed. Yeah. And so I went back to my cell that night and I prayed. And that was a Saturday night when that happened. So I go back to my cell. I pray. I said, God, if I need to believe that this Jesus character was truly your son. And these were the areas I had a problem with. I could believe that some Jewish guy got nailed to a piece of wood 2000 years ago and created a cult following. I was all got over it. that. Right. Right. You know? Right. But I said, if Which I need that's to ahead of some people today, yes. they, they want to pretend yeah, he wasn't even a real person. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I was, I was, I was a little bit in that direction. I was agnostic. I knew God was real. I just didn't understand Jesus and how he fit into the equation. And so I'm praying and I say, God, if I need to believe that it's Jesus character was truly your son, that he was born of a virgin scoffing, mm-hmm. as I say it, 
that he lived a sinless life. That's not what I said then. I said that he that he didn't do anything wrong his whole life, that he died and somehow his death did something for me, and that he rose from the dead. If I need to believe right. those right. things... Those are the tenets. Yeah, right. That's right. it. And, right. and, and, and if I need to believe that to be okay with you, you're going to have to show me something. And so I went to bed that night, and I had crazy nightmares. And in one of those nightmares, I was falling off of a cliff. And if you ever had those dreams where you're falling, and like you wake up, and you thought you were really falling, and you look, and I've just got sweat pouring down my face. And I look at the clock in my room, and it said 316. And the only Bible verse I've ever known my whole life is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only right. begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that was the, the answer to my question. Only Bible verse I know. No, no. I'm, my clock I'm says it. Right, you know, right, I'm just right. like. Because God has no problem yeah. with you asking, hey, yeah. am I real? Tell me yeah. the deal. He's, he's yeah, for that. Absolutely. And and he knows the sincerity of someone's heart when they're asking that. Yeah, or they're, they're seeking or not. Fleece or, yeah, exactly. Right. So. I did that and he showed me and I tried to ignore it. You know, it was 316 for what felt like 30 minutes and it was Sunday morning at 316. And right. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to church, you know? Right. And so I went back to bed, woke up and they call it Christian services there. And so I end up going to Christian services and I go out and I've got this idea in my head that Christians are all weak. I don't know. There's and, and in prison, it's weird because you got a lot of child molesters that hang out with the Christians so that they don't get beat up. You know what I mean? And sometimes okay, so have the Christians are their shield, their protectors to a certain degree. And then they have what's called like God pods. We call them, but they were like faith units. And then this wasn't this way at Sterling, but it was at, at, at Walsenburg. And so like all the child molesters would go to the, the faith pod because they knew that they weren't going to get their commissary taken and stuff like that. Right. So anyway, so you, this is kind of what I'm looking at, right. As I'm, I'm going through this transition, and I'm like, well, I, you know, I don't want to be perceived as weak or anything like that. Um, and so I go to my buddy Ramon, and Ramon was on the softball team. Charles' softball team. He's this big, huge black dude, and he was a gangbanger who brought the, brought the blood gang from California to Colorado. This dude's a bad dude. Oh, okay. You know? And he's a Christian, big-time Christian, like huge evangelistic Christian, like, right. and is, is very good at ministering to young black gangbangers, mm -hmm. right? And that was his calling. And so – I go up to, he sees me and he goes, Hey man. And he, he knows like, what are you doing up at eight o'clock on a Sunday? Right. You know? Right. right. And uh, so I go with him and we sit to the very back to, off to the very side, as far away from the pulpit as I can possibly get. And uh, I listen and chaplain Davis, I don't remember a single word that he preached. He went through the whole thing. And uh, at the end he said, uh, I'm, I'm going to do an invitation. And so I looked at, uh, I looked at, or excuse me, I looked at Ramon and I said, Hey, what's an invitation? And he didn't say, you know, this is where you invite Jesus into your heart. This is, you know, any of those yeah, weird we things. Do all this, yeah. yeah right, and right, so right. he said, look, if you've got something hindering your relationship with God, you can go down there and pray with that man about it. And I was like, okay. And he knew. And so Ramon actually mm -hmm. stepped aside cause he already knew what was happening. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I go down there and I pray with chaplain Davis and he grabs my hand, puts his hand on my shoulder and says, how can I pray for you? And I'm like, look, chap, I'm not up here to make any decisions. I just want you to pray that God would soften my heart so the truth can come in. That's it. And so, um, and that's exactly what he prayed. And he prayed that. And when he got done praying, I looked up in his face and he had tears pouring down his face. Mm. And I was just like, whoa. And I knew something had happened, right? right. And it was just un unreal, unbelievable. And I knew something had happened. And again, Chaplain Davis is not the type of dude that cries in front of prisoners, right? He's a total man's man, you know. Okay. And so seeing this, I was just blown away. And uh, I left there, and, and Charles gave me a Bible, and he said, you need to start reading the story of Joseph, and don't stop. 
And so I started reading the story of Joseph and I just kept reading my Bible and that went on for about nine months. And, and I was all in, I was at every faith-based program they had. I joined the choir, couldn't sing with the lick. I mean, anywhere there was fellowship, I was in, I was all about it. Right. And so, and one of the cool things too, and the reason I think Chaplain Davis was in tears, I mean, obviously the spirit moved, but um, Chaplain Davis and Charles, Charles was the chaplain's assistant, but Charles and Chaplain Davis did not get along. They just rubbed each other wrong, right? Okay. And so it was kind of comical. It was one of the jokes, right, in, in the prison was the, they, they didn't get along. And uh, the only thing that they ever really did together that they got along is they'd been praying for me for years, like two mm-hmm. years. And then I show up on the yard, and then I start going to these programs, and then that happens, right? And so they'd been praying for that even before I got to that prison. So um, when Charles knew you. Before. Yeah, from when he he was at Walsenburg with me, he went to Sterling directly from there while I'm bouncing around these other prisons, and he's there with Chaplain right. Davis praying for me. And then I end so up Chaplain there. Davis has seen all this. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's watched all of it. So um, that happens, and then so over the next nine months, I'm just in the Word, doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, involved in the faith-based, 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 words, mm-hmm. faith-based <laughs> programs. And, um, you know, about nine months in, I, I get to the point where I see all my friends that have pen pals. They're all writing somebody, and I'm like, man, that'd be cool if I could get a pen pal. And so I get the bright idea to call my mom, and she's running a Facebook page for me. And I always say, like, I don't even know how illegal this was, but <laughs> right. it may or may not have happened. <laughs> but um, that's what I was doing. And uh, so she was running a Facebook page for me, and, like, I had zero standards. I'm, like, basically, like, hey, someone that wasn't doing drugs that went to college. Seems fair. Mm-hmm. And so, wait, um, that's what you wanted in a pen pal? Yeah, just basically okay. someone that wasn't a drug addict. Okay. okay. You know, well, you, you got to start somewhere. That's right. I mean, that's a pretty good standard. Yeah. I mean, because no. otherwise they'd yeah. be a drug addict. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't I want can that. see it. So, okay. What am I mean? Because I don't want to write drug addicts? No, no, no. I oh. was going to say, probably. She was going to say, I thought you were smarter than that. No, but I'm uh, going to get it. When you say running your Facebook page, you had a Facebook page? No. And- so, my, my mom created a Facebook page for me. To pretend I'm in prison, you, and she was basically like not pretending to be me, but just started a Facebook account and put my name and f- picture so on it. So that people wouldn't why? know you were in so prison? People, so that I could communicate with people. Like, so I would be on the phone with her, and she would, you know, I'd say, hey, write this in a post, and she would post it. And okay. then that way people oh, could follow okay, me. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. And so. But hopefully you didn't have many drug dealers following you at that point. No, none. It was all people from my okay. past that were, you know, okay. and that was, the, and that was okay. the thing. So I had all these friends that I went to school with, middle school, high school, whatever. And I'm sending, you know, sending these girls, you know, hey, you want to write me in prison? And you'd be surprised. <laughs> they quit doing that, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I just I was, was wondering, I'm like, what is she? Well, oh, girls, hi, always, <laughs> girls always like yeah. the bad guy. So now so, you're well, in prison. Well, oh, oh, it comes full circle. Okay. So, um, so you know, uh, amazingly enough, I didn't get a, a bunch of uh, bites and nibbles on the, uh, do you want to write me in prison? Okay. Imagine that. So I've had enough rejection once again, and I let it go, and I said, look, God, if you want me to have a pen pal, you're going to have to do this. I just think it's so cute that all these Prisoners, these want they, some pen they pals? want pen pals. Do they call them pen pals? Should we no, they probably call them some things that I won't, you know. Oh, but yeah, okay, all right. and so and and a lot of them they like. But again, people, people, the 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 punishment in prison is the loneliness. Yeah, and you're in there with other prisoners, and you develop camaraderie with these people, and you know it's it's cool and 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 whatever. But like you're longing for obviously you know, uh, relations from someone of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. And some guys are in there so long that they given up on that and right. they find their companionship of people with the same sex. And that's no fun. So mm-hmm. I went the pen pal route. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, uh, I, um, I, I said, look, I, I'm not going to be able to take any more rejection. God, if you want me to have a pen pal, you're going to have to do this. And so I let it go two or three weeks goes by. I call my mom just to check in. 
And uh, she goes, hey, do you know a girl named uh, Christina Ewan? I'm like, yep, I know Christina Ewan. That was the girl that put mm-hmm. me in the friend zone back in eighth grade that I would have saw now off my left arm to do with. Pose. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and I'm like, absolutely. And then she goes, well, she wants to write you. And I'm like, she knows I'm in prison, right? So, yeah. So, did you get her address? She said, yeah, I got her address. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so I wrote the first letter. And basically, the first letter was, hey, look, I didn't get drunk and run somebody's dog over. I belong here. I deserve to be here. Right. Right. Um, and so um, that was, you know, here, here's my situation. I'm in here. I earned the sentence. She wrote me back, and she's like, hey, look, um, you know, I, I recently got divorced. Uh, I have a son. Um, life's been hard, but I just got saved like six months ago. So I've been saved for like nine months. She'd been saved for like okay. six months. And so we just started writing handwritten letters back right. and forth about right what God was doing in our lives, what we were reading in the Bible, what the preacher was preaching on. Then she would send me a book and we would read the book together and write about what we were seeing in the book and stuff like that. It's a really cool way to get to know somebody, mm-hmm. you know, through written letter. It's not something we do a lot of anymore. And um, so your salvation time was when you were nine months prior to that at with the, with the pastor when you yeah, said he's going I to show me. I got okay, saved. So yeah. that's when you got saved yeah, right there. Absolutely. Okay. I would credit that day with that. Okay. Yep. Look at me. I'm you, nodding. Because you're Like repentant. it's my story. <laughs> but and when you keep talking, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite part. And then, and then you the get next to the next part. I'm like, oh, this is my favorite part. But this is my next favorite this part. Is ne- my, this, is, this, is my, my, this is my second favorite yeah. part. Okay. This is my second favorite okay. part. So um, we're, well, actually, I already got to the second favorite part where Christina's writing me. But anyway, it gets, anyway, so. Just wait. You've thrown me off. I'm sorry. That's all right. So, um, you're going through the books, we're going through the study. books, we're doing all that. And, uh, I get to the point and I'm like, man, I, I, I can't help, but, you know, feel like there's a spark here that wasn't there. Right. And like, in eighth it's, grade. it's, yeah, it wasn't there in eighth grade or ninth grade or 10th grade or 11th grade or 12th grade. Yeah, for yeah, exactly. Right. But I could, I could tell there was like some reciprocation in the spark. Right. Okay. And so I'm like, ah. I mean, my stock can't get any lower here, guys. I mean, let's think about it. You're not worth a lot. Yeah, I've got 10 years left on my sentence. I'm just like, "Ah," but I can't can't help the way I feel, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I wrote it out. Hey, look, I can't help but feel like something's going on here that, you know, Maybe you might feel the same way right. I'm feeling, she you know, check the box. Oh. Yeah. Send it check back yes to you. or no. Right. Uh, you got to go uh, through snail mail. Yeah. And so that's, that's painful. The, it is. And so I write this letter out and say, look, I can't help but feel like something's going on here. You know, we, we want the same things out of life. We, we have the same values. You know, we're in the same place kind of in our faith walk. You know, uh, how, what are you thinking? And so I, I write that, as she said, snail mail, put it in the thing, put a stamp on it, put it in the mailbox. It takes a week to get there. She writes. Snail mails it back, and I'm, so I'm sitting there for two weeks waiting. You know, after five years of middle school and high school rejection, mm-hmm. just you know, getting heavier and heavier on my shoulders with each passing day. I don't thinking get a that she's never, I'm not yeah. going to write yeah, anything back. Just not even write back off. and just gone. Right, and so that was the risk I took. Finally, one day they called my name in mail call, and um, yes. I look and I I pull the letter out and kind of do one of the uh-huh. you know things where you kind of barely look at it, and she said, "Look, Brian." Um, I, I feel the exact same way. I know God wants me to be with you no matter what, whether you get out in 10 days or 10 years, I'm going to be here. And I was just like, this is the whoa. touchdown dance. Oh, that not is, the husband. Yes. So I was like, Whoa, this is, this is crazy. And, uh, maybe you should have gone for a second time back in eighth grade. Yeah. It's, oh no, it was rejection throughout middle school and high school. Oh, so that I, yeah, happened no. multiple oh, times. Multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Crash meat burn. So, um, <laughs> Yeah. 
I don't want to talk about it. Okay. But, hey, but I win in the end. You yes, do win. That's all that it's a good story. That's all that matters. Bigly. Bigly. So Huge. now you got 10 years left. So wait, 10 wait, years wait, left. Wait, oh, there's more good wait. stuff? Yeah. Wait, just wait. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, fly, so that happens. She tells me that. Uh, I'm going to be eligible for the halfway house soon, but there's no way they're letting me out to a halfway house with my sentence and all this other stuff. But, you know, she tells me she wants to be with me. She's going to be there. And I'm like, great. Um, and what was interesting, and I don't talk about this a lot, one of the hardest things for me to do was accept that she felt that way about me. Mm. And what I mean by that was only bad things happened to Brian Dawson. That was a core belief that I had inside of me up to that point. Only bad things happen to me. Good things don't happen. So I'm literally like waiting for the piano to fall out of the sky. Right. You know, she's going to write me and say that she found somebody else or she's going to write right. me and, you know, I, I don't know. You know, all these crazy things going through my head. And it literally took me about six months to finally accept it. I mean, it may have been closer to a year. So. I mean, and at that point, are you thinking I don't deserve this? No, oh, absolutely. I don't deserve this. And then good things don't happen to me. And also, I didn't have real great feelings about women at the time either because of previous women that I dated that were on drugs. Right, so well, that's can't not really a formulate an opinion. Representation. No, right. I didn't say it was fair. It was I just said it was good that you were in, because if you were out of prison and still dealing with those same problems and issues, there, there's other things you can do. Yeah. But since you were in prison, that time allowed you to get through some of that. Yeah, it was it was potentially the hardest thing I've ever gone through is trying to really wrestle through that. And uh, again, I never talk about this part of the story. So you won't. Well, that's this that's why rooms. Alabama unfiltered right. is the best. unfiltered. Right. That's right. Why Greg Phillips comes and tells his story, and so does a less known bearded man. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I struggled with that. Put in for the halfway house. I put in for this program called the Peer One program, and the Peer One program is the most challenging behavior modification program of its kind in the country. It's called the Therapeutic Community, and it's in Denver, Colorado. And I thought two thoughts were one, I might be able to get out sooner if I put in there because it's so hard, they might actually give me a chance. And then two, I wanted to have some type of a buffer between prison and me getting to Christina and her son. And, you know, and then, and for her family to see, you know, for it to be, uh, you know, acceptable, I'm sure, um, her family didn't have really <laughs> good thoughts. I haven't thought about that part of the story. <laughs> yeah. And it's hey, funny. Mom, my nephew's I'm actually in, in the studio and he was yeah. there when that was all happening. So, um, anyway, uh, so he was little though. Yeah. <laughs> he was probably still like, Hey, Chrissy going crazy. <laughs> he, he probably heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, sure his mom was saying that. I so just have not thought about that part. Like, yeah. What if one of my kids? Oh man. Said, I've got some funny stories. I have like, to tell about that yeah. too. When I'm we get, I'm when we get to that the part. guy from prison. Oh it, yeah. So there's, there's some super funny stories about that, that I don't ever tell either that I'll tell Will you. you tell yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. So I get out to this program. Um, they, they accept me. I go there. I go to this program. The six, first six months I'm there, she can write me. I can't write her. Time out. You hate it when I do this. But this is like where if you've proven yourself, there's a special facility or place or somewhere, and you go through this. It's not in the prison. So you're out. Yeah, of no, it's a halfway house. It's separate. Okay, it's okay. in Denver, Colorado. It's at the Anschutz Medical Campus and some old old military base that they turned into a, basically a rehab. It's like and therapeutic boarding thing. school. Or yeah, something. essentially. Yeah, okay. exactly. And so you're there, and and the fir- like first nine months you're doing treatment, and then after that you have a job. It's a two year program. The first year you're inpatient. The second year you're outpatient, and then so the first six months you can't write anybody or call anybody, but they can write you. And so Christina says, "Hey." Um, how often do you want me to write you? And I'm like, I don't know, once a week. And this to me, like people need to be doing the story on Christina and not me. She's Mm -hmm. way more amazing than me. And so she was, um, 
and I guess I can just throw that part in why I'm in Alabama. She was in uh, in El- Alabama, okay? So she was living in Elmore County, Alabama, in Eclectic, Alabama. That's where all the godly women are. Yes, exactly. No, it, it was great. I, I found me one. Right. So, um, And so her mom was dying of cancer in Brunswick, Georgia area, St. Mary's, Georgia, somewhere out there. Um, I'll just say Brunswick area. So it's six hours from where she lives. She's working at Baptist Health. Um, she's a full-time at Baptist health, full-time student at Troy, single mom. And I think she was doing something else. Um, but anyway, single mom, oh, th- that was enough. Yeah. And then she, so Monday she would, um, or Monday through Friday, she goes to work, goes to school, you know, goes, goes to work, picks up her son, does digital online school, right? goes to bed, gets up, does it again. Friday, she goes, picks up her son from, uh, daycare, drives six hours to go take care of her dying mother, mm-hmm. drives Sunday, six hours back. Okay, oh and gosh. starts and does it over again, right. and she's writing me a letter a week. Unbelievable! That is that's incredible. She's incredible, and and she is incredible. And so that, I don't know you well, but I'm not sure you're worth it. No, I'm not. I mean, like, there's no way you, right. you, you, you see why I was like, <laughs> I don't deserve this, God. It's, it's a God thing. Yes, that's and so all good it. gifts are from above, right? And so um, that was a big part of me learning to accept it is that she was faithful for 26, 26 letters, a letter a week for twenty six weeks, right? For those six months, the letter was there on time every single time. And nothing and, from you. And nothing from me. And so she didn't know what was going on mm. with me. Wow. Um, and she could call and talk to my counselor like once a month or whatever and get an update. Yeah, you know, he's doing good. Blah, blah, he's still alive. Yeah. And what so. What do they do for, you said treatment for nine months. What well, they, that's a whole not, other podcast not, episode. Okay. All right. But I, so. they're Christian based or anything. No, it's very, far from it. And, and it stinks because it could really be like they've got a lot of things right, but they got a lot of right. things wrong. But therapeutic community, see if I can do this justice, um, it's so hard to explain the elements of it without actually being there and showing. But the idea was to create a high-stress, high-pressure environment so that you'll snap, but you snap in an environment where there's a safety net. Yeah. And they have all kinds of opportunities for you to work. It's a peer group. It's peer counseling. So if I'm there and I'm stressed out and this program's driving me crazy and I finally lose it, They'll they'll snap and they'll do what's called a game and then they'll circle it up and they'll be like six or seven you know essentially inmates right mm-hmm. they're 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 for clients I think I forget what they call them in the program but I, they're inmates to me so six or seven other inmates in there and they circle it up what's going on what's going on right. man this is you know this is ticking me off blah 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 you say probably some other choice words in it and this that and the other and then they start to analyze like well why are you feeling that way why is that is that really that big a deal you're you're making this a bigger deal than it really is you're overthinking this and mm-hmm. you start to really have other people helping you see how stupid your thought process is and how erroneous it is. Meanwhile, you're taking classes that are showing you about these thought patterns and behaviors and stuff. And it's actually, it's a, it's a, it's really, really helpful. They teach you about how to run a house as far as like, you know, cleaning, cooking. It's just, it was just, I can't do it justice in, 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 in a short sitting, but it's a hugely beneficial program for me. Helped me so much, helped me learn so many things that I use each and every, every day in my life. Uh, I learned in that program. Um, and it was hard. It was extremely hard. And I mean, some of the things they would do to address your behavior, again, it was very kind of military in the sense of like drill sergeant. And so you would, you know, when you first get to the program, you're not even allowed to look people in the eyes. You're in orientation. So you have to look at the ground all the time and you're wearing a white T-shirt and you're setting the table. And like if you put the fork sideways or it's not straight, you know, the person that's the the orientation head, they call him the OTH, he would come around and be like, that fork's crooked. Support Monad, Brian D. And so Monad is nose and toes on the wall. Support Monad. So I'm supporting Monad and I'm on the wall. And then they'd be like, Brian D, come off Monad, you need a trim. And so I'd stand about 10 feet away from him 
And I'd go, oh, okay. And then they just lay into you. The free, you know, that so it is very that, the Marines. Yeah, absolutely. That fork's crooked because your life's crooked, right? You can't get anything right. And if you continue to have crooked forks, you're going to have a crooked line and just, you know, tear you apart. And then when you're done, you go, oh, okay. So instead of, <laughs> yes, sir, sir, yeah, you say, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, it's that, you know, 24 hours a day, right? And then you'd go on Monad encounters. And so you'd be known as Monad what stand for. Mo- yeah. Monad is, is so, so I don't know what Monad stands for. But they have dyads and triads, and a dyad is you and one other person, and a triad is you oh, and so, three people. So, so monad is, is you and your time. Yeah, your time to talk to yourself. Okay, it's a highly yeah. respected tool of the program. Man. That's what they call it. And so, but then they go monad encounters, and so I, one day we were on the wall for like thirteen days, right? Wait, and so wait. yeah, so we get up at five a.m. until ten p.m. and you would do standing, sitting, standing, sitting, standing, sitting, standing, sitting, and that went on for thir- thirteen days. They were trying to break you. Yeah. And so that when you would break, you would snap and they would be there to figure out what caused you to snap. So that when you were out there, you, and you, you wouldn't snap. You would, yeah, you wouldn't snap. Or if you snapped, you knew how to deal with it. Well, right? Because okay. in normal life, you snap. You're yeah. left with yourself and your own self-talk and yep. your own bad habits right. and your own bad self-talk. thinking. She's been to TC before. I'm right. telling you right well, now. You keep an eye on her. Yeah. I've, that's a whole other podcast. All right. That's a whole other podcast. But yes, like you've got to have to rewire, especially after what you've been through and the trauma of your childhood and all of that. Like you have to rewire that. And there, that's the only way you break it. Yeah. That's the only way. So extreme. But extreme. you. And then you get to the point where you can go out and work and then you go and you work all day. And then, so I'm going to work. What's your work? So I, at first I was working day labor, right? I'm making $7 an hour scraping insulation, like 105 degree heat. Brutal. And so then I get a job doing tax resolution sales, (laughs) um, which is a weird, weird switch. But there was a guy that was doing it there and I'm like, man, I got to find some air conditioning. Mm -hmm. You know, that was kind of my real goal. And And I knew that I was good at sales. This is out in the world? Yeah, this is in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, it's out in Denver. And so I had a friend that was working at this law firm that was doing tax resolution sales and they had a sales floor and they would essentially get tax liens and they would run through those tax liens and find people's names and stuff. Then you call and be like, Hey, I see that you owe the government money, blah, blah, blah. We can help, you know, Mm -hmm. like that. And so I went and applied for that job. Um, I felt so uncomfortable again, that whole, this can't be real type of stuff. And, And I walk in and I've been working, you know, taking the bus to day labor, you know, and just not this. And then I walk into this place and they got like, marble floors with like water fountains and you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't belong here. They're going to call security, (laughs) you know? And so I go in there and my eyes are all big the whole time. And I'm filling out my job application and they do the interview and I do the interview and the guy's like, you'll do awesome here. And I'm like, come again. (laughs) Right. But that's, that's your bent. Yeah. Sales. Yeah. Like when they send you out, people. do they send you out in good clothes or you're in prison looking clothes? No, no, no. You're you're completely in society. There's no ankle okay. monitors. There's no nothing, right? And okay. so. But he wants to know what you're wearing. Yeah. Uh, like, it looks similar this? to this. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just okay. normal clothes. Yeah. Okay. And so when you get there, they have, they uh, what do they call it? Um, anyway, there was a barn full of clothes that were donated. Oh, and and we, okay. we, we had a term for it. I forget what it was. It was a funny term. But you know, oh, you don't got any clothes? Go out to the shed. Then you go out in the shed. Give me what it's called. And uh, we would go out there, and they had clothes, right? And then your family could bring you clothes and stuff like that. But I mean, okay. you would be taken care of. You know, there so was you're not like in your greens mm-mm. or what'd you call them? Greens? No, that's greens. Yeah, green greens was prison. And so one of the other things that was bad too is they have um, all kinds of food donated to this place. And so you go down to the basement of Motivation House, which there was three buildings, and and in the basement. It's like nothing but cakes and pies. And like you've been, I've been in prison. I was five years, two months in prison. I had no cakes and pies. You know what I mean? 
and I like cakes and pies. (laughs) (laughs) And I get out, I'm like 215, 220 pounds. I got in them cakes and pies and I'm stress eating because you're talking about your feelings, you know what I mean? And you're in there and you're ready to snap and you're just like, I'm going to go nuts. How'd you get? Yeah. And I got up to like 285. (laughs) I'm now 300. So never went back down. Cakes and pies. Yeah, they have them out here. They do. They had them in abundance there. And so, and also when I was doing tax resolution sales, I would be sitting there with cakes and pies. It was, it was a bad habit. So anyway, Hey, um, as long as you're not back with El Chapo. That's right. Not Chico, Chico and El Chapo. <laughs> so, um, yes. So there's that. Where where was what? I? I we feel like we got back. completely no, you derailed. Go and for six months, she sends you letters. She sends me letters. Talk. There okay, you go. So Thank you for finally. getting me back on track after getting me off track. Sorry. So it was her responsibility she did ask to get me back on track. I'm just yeah. listening. So um, finish that. I get to the point where I go out, find a job. Um, kind of told you about the things that I was doing for work. And then I get to the point in the program where I'm able to go out on visits. And so she comes and um, she flies out here. Uh, we go on a visit. Our very first visit, we got married. And I actually proposed to her on he the- He just glossed over that. He said yeah. that, you said that there was no buildup or anything. Like this- Cue the music, Adrian. Yeah, the girl that gave you the Heisman in eighth grade. Yes. That and becomes your pen pal. Over and over the Heisman, which over I and over. Right. And she hasn't seen you in years. Well, she came you, and saw me in prison. I, I skipped that part. Oh. And you weigh 285 and you eat pies and, and cakes, cakes and all pies. the time. Well, she said, yeah. yes, you know, like we knew we, we, I was getting, we were going to get married when I was like 205 looking really good in prison. Okay. Right. And then right. the cakes and pies happened and then she saw me and I was like, you, I mean, we kind of made a, Right. Like, kind of tricked her. For better, for worse. Yeah. yeah. No, I think actually know. by the time we got married, I was I was more two sixty. But you know, she loves me for but me. But where do you for, go get for married? Who you are. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, where huh? did you get Angle? married? So yeah, I'll do that. So so um, <laughs> I'm sorry. There's, there's the three houses of Pier One. You have motiv- motivation house, dedication house, inspiration house. I was an inspiration house. She came to see me that Friday. I wasn't able to go on a visit, but they let me see her, and she came on the front porch. And I got down on a knee and proposed to her and asked her to marry me on the front porch of a drug okay. rehab. How romantic is that? That is great. Did, did, were your buddies there to go like, woohoo? They were all looking through the windows. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It's so sweet. Yes. And this is actually the ring. Because it's redemptive. You yes. know, it's like God redeems all things. Yes. And this is actually the ring that I proposed to her with. And so this was a $3 ring that so I got. you put that on her finger. I did. And so this was the ring that I was wearing when I was in Pier 1 to make it look like I was married. Um, and so, uh, I've got, it It was like $3 at this, you know, Christian bookstore or whatever. It says, um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Look at you. And that turned out to be really profound. So, so I gave her that. She says, yes, of course. She says, yes. We got married the next day. We went to my grandma's house and, uh, had a pastor that I knew who came and did the ceremony. Him and his wife came. My grandma was there and my mom was on speakerphone and we got married. That's pretty good. Yeah. How excited was your wife's? No, no, no. She's still in Louisiana. No, um, Mamu was still in Louisiana. This is Grandma Barb. Okay. Okay. Now, now your wife's family, Mm -hmm. they're really excited about this? They don't know about this. Okay. Yeah. Which was not the ideal plan. I don't recommend that. I'm real big on asking the father, but Christina had been married and divorced. Already, you know, and she was real big on, look, I'm not going to tell anybody. I know this is the right decision. I'm going to do it. And I'm not like sitting in a really good position to argue with that. I'm like, she really wants to marry me. I think we should let her. You know, that was kind of my thought. (laughs) Just don't talk her out. Yeah, I got you. 
So, um, yeah. So she, she says, uh, you know, we, we do that. We do the marriage thing, do the, I do thing. And that was good. And, um, Anyway, I won't tell you about the parts that come after that. You mm-hmm. guys have been married. Yeah. So. Well, you right. do have seven kids. So yeah. So, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway. Anywho. Your, your nephew's like, uh, he's blushing. I yeah. mean, there are questions about because you're in prison and yeah, no, how much time, time they give you. And, maybe, yeah. If you watch, never mind. <laughs> and so I was at the halfway house when we got married. So it wasn't prison. It wasn't a lot of you know, time. Anything like that. So yeah. Right. I'm 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 basically towards the end of the the um uh what do they call that when you're in the program? I just said it a second ago. Internal treatment or what do you call that when you're I just said it. Uh-huh. Gosh, words. I don't know prison. Anyway, so it's like you have like when you go to therapy and you're in house and then there's out house, right? So like you're in the like, like you're you're house? checked in inpatient okay inpatient versus outpatient thank you so inpatient uh, that was towards the end of my inpatient we get married um i wasn't supposed to get married because that's entering into a legal contract while you're in a sentence but there's no way i was not going to do it because i I, it was really important to me and it was very important to christina that we were married before you know we did that before she got away yes no that's right yeah so yeah i'm being serious i'm understanding what he's thinking yeah no they um they somebody told on me uh, because that guy got caught getting married and he just told on me and i'm like bro right you know and and so uh he told on me i i they and 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 it was funny went and beat him up no i i I learned my lesson from beating up people that told on me so that they knew that i was i was healed and clean and ready to be let go because i didn't beat that guy up but um so anyway, I'm really getting down in the nitty gritty of the story. Hopefully we're keeping people's attention. So, no, it's so good. Okay. So um they send me back to day one phase one, which is the very beginning of the program. Because like, you got married. Because I got married. And the thing was they weren't really that mad that I got married, but they and, and, and one of the reasons that a lot of people that have been in prison and have those emotional issues and some of the same issues I was just telling you about that that screws up and that they end up relapsing, though they seem like they were doing really, really good as they get into a relationship. Right. Okay. And so um, that program is a secular program and they, they promoted promiscuity and I wasn't about that. I'm like, no, I'm a believer. This is how we do it. Because and promiscuity is better than a relation. That's what they think though. They're, they're godless pagans. Right. I so probably I mean, shouldn't have said that. that no, way, I but, think that's you know, probably well, the appropriate. I mean, yeah. Yes. And so that, that was what they promoted. Go and sow your wild oats, go do whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, that's not and what and I want to do. I want to have a bunch of kids who don't have yeah. a dad so they can come yeah, and help exactly. with this program or just abort them. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That, that was that that was the worldview of the place. But again, I don't want to speak too poorly of the place because it was hugely right. beneficial to me. But that was the place that we were at odds. And so all the people there making fun of me. Oh, you look at you. You getting married because you want to follow God. I mean, it's literally like getting mocked, right, mm-hmm. for, right, for trying to obey God. Right. And then they were some like, oh, that's not why you did it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I know why I did it. Christina knows why we did it. I went back to the beginning of the program. And I didn't know how long I was going to be stuck at the beginning of the program. I could have been there another six months or whatever. Yeah. And um, but man, I learned so much in going back to the beginning of the program of learning how to just be okay with things and just trust God, and just be like, you know what, this is where wow. I am. This is where I'm. I'm. I, I did what I thought was right. Right. And you know, there's a joke in Pier One. You know, you can do anything you want in Pier One. You just have to be able to accept the consequences. And I really came to understand what that saying was. And I'm like, you know what, I did what I wanted to do. I'm still married. She's going to be there when I get out. And so give me your best. Yeah. yeah. I'll scrub these toilets with this toothbrush or do whatever you need me to do, do the dishes. And once they saw that, mm. and, and and I had done so well in the program, they thought I kind of like skated through because apparently I'm smart according to Allison and mm-hmm. they noticed that. And I kind of just skated you through are. and 
they didn't think I really got treatment. So they looked at me getting married and they're like, this is our chance to give Dawson treatment because he didn't really get any going through the program. I did, but but usually through that first year, year and a half, you have a breakdown where you have to go through a major discipline and each person that goes through the program has something like that. Well, I didn't. And so they wanted to use that as the opportunity to teach me what you learn in that major discipline. And Mm -hmm. so I did, and I did learn quite a bit from it. It was, it was really, really good. Did you have a breakdown the second go? No. Um, so it was just that that major discipline was the breakdown. Right. So they sent me back and I'm on the wall and I'm thinking about okay. going back to prison because I'm like, man, how dare these people tell me I can't get married, blah, blah, blah. And having all right. those thoughts. And do you go back to nomad. <clears throat> yeah. No, no, no I was on monad for like four or monad. five days. And then they do another thing at the program that they don't do anymore. Uh, what do they call them? They would they would cover all the windows with black paper and it was like a blackout i forget what they called um a so marathon you couldn't know you wouldn't they got rid of all the clocks covered all the windows and then you were just basically like no one was allowed to sleep and that would go for like you know four or five days of of a marathon and you have no idea what time it is in the day or anything and you're sitting there in a circle you know talking about you know what your dad did, said to you when you were 14 or so, you know what I mean? Like whatever, oh my you know, word. and uh, I mean, it was insane. Dude. They don't do that anymore. I thought it was beneficial. Again, I, I liked the intensity of the program. I thought it was very effective and helpful. Um, and um, it was, it was, it was an interesting time, but again, the, the, the thing that they're doing, life is hard. Like you guys know that life is really freaking hard, right. like really hard. And when you've been in prison where life is not that hard and, you know, or whatever else, it's out. Time out. You okay. just said prison wasn't very hard. Yeah. I mean, you, like, uh, you, you sit in there the, and eat Cheetos and like exercise until you get out. I mean, you know, sure. You, you have, no mo- well, I mean, you don't You're have to deal with things. Yeah. Everything's taking care of abilities. Exactly. Right. You're a hamster. Yeah. Right. So it's hard in the sense that, you know, you don't have, you know, you can't just go hang out with your friends or you can't go hang out with your girlfriend or your wife or your kids or whatever. And I was very fortunate. I didn't have a wife and kids. I didn't have any of that yes. when I was in there. And and that would have been, I don't know how people deal with that. I couldn't. And so um, it was easy for me in that sense. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to take you from being a completely dependent mm. human being yeah. that's been in prison, put as much pressure on you as they possibly can, make it as hard as they possibly can. Um and, and so that you'll break and then also so that you'll learn that, that it's hard. And there's a, a thing in the program that they say is that it doesn't get easier, but it gets better. And I have found that to mm. be true in life. That is a fact of life. It doesn't get any easier, but it gets better. Right. And as you get through the program, you get more freedom, you get more opportunities, you, you, you know, you get these things, but you still have the root responsibilities that you have to take care of. And as long as you're taking care of your responsibilities, you get more and more freedoms in the program. And so it was very cool. And then they get to the point where you're out and you get your own place and all that. And I finished the program, kind of graduated with, with honors, if you would. I got to speak. I was one of the speakers at the graduation. There was, I don't know, 30 or 40 people that graduated with me. No, there wasn't even that. It was like 20. And so that's the thing is like only like 20% of the people that start the program graduate. So that's one of my questions. Really? Like I was thinking about if you're going through that and I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. Your faith, like how did that how do you make it through something like that? Because part of when you say it doesn't get easier, but it gets better as a believer, you look back and you can say and see the times when God was faithful and when God, you know, showed up and took care of you, even when life was hard. Okay. How do you go through something like that? Like, did you have friends that either did make it or didn't make it that weren't believers? And I mean, I know the answer is yes, but like, how do you, how does, 
what did that look like? How did it look differently now that you're a Christian walking through that? Yeah, interestingly enough, Charles was there as well, by the way. What? Yes. Well, I was going to ask because Charles told you to start reading uh, the story of Joseph. <laughs> yes. How did Charles <laughs> Which, get there? So Charles, that was the that was the halfway house that he chose to go to as well. Flashback on Charles. We could be here all day talking about this stuff. So flashback on Charles. <clears throat> Charles, we're, we're back. So bring us back to Sterling Correctional Facility. We're in wow. prison again. I'm there with Charles. I need popcorn. Charles put in to get paroled on two separate occasions while I was in there with him. He got denied both times. He was a role model inmate. There's no reason he should have got denied based off of, you know, the, what the patterns that we'd seen. And he's like crying out to God, like, God, why am I not getting paroled? Well, he got to watch me get saved. And like literally like two mm-hmm. weeks after I got saved, he got out. God. So God was like, hold on. Yeah. And then he went to Pier 1. Okay. And then I ended up at Pier 1. And he's like nine months ahead of me in the program. And so he's like, you know, but he was going through it too, man. They got him too. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> they'll make you make fake, like out of crates, like fake jail cells that you got to sit in. I mean, dude, it's just, they get you, man. Yeah. And, and so Charles was going through it too. And he had a hard time with the program and he ended up graduating, doing well. Uh, I ended up going through it, but you know, how, how did I get through it? And how did my faith help me? It's the exact same thing I was dealing with in that. The, the program in my life are no different. That's how I look at it. Hmm. Exactly what you just said is you look back on past God faithful, like God's faithfulness in the past and know that you're sitting in this position, this position or situation that seems hopeless. And the only thing you can do is freak out or trust God. I go through that on a somewhat regular basis still as an adult, right? Every year, a couple of years, I get to a point where I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. This doesn't look good. The walls are closing in. And I just have to just trust that he's going to be faithful. And, and he is over and over and over again. And it's so funny because like once I trust him, I'm like, yeah, I trusted him and it worked out next time. I'm just going to trust right, the right. whole thing. And then the next time, like the walls are bigger and they're closer and, you know, and, and then you're like, oh, no. And then you go through the same thing. And it's like this constant repetition of that exact thing. And, and, and you know, I I felt it very much in that program and I felt it out of the program. But but, yeah, counting on God's faithfulness. Um knowing that the program is temporary and Dave Booth. So they had therapeutic community in prison in Sterling guy by the name of Dave Booth ran the program. And he told me when I left and he said, look, Dawson, don't quit. Don't quit. And so it, the pier one sat on the, on the edge of this massive park. And at the end of the park was a, a bus stop where the bus would run and you could go. And they also had a bell that was there. So you're in the foyer. And if you go out the foyer and you go across the street, you're in the park. And then in the foyer, there's a bell. And so there's two things that most people did. They either, they, we called it running across the park. They would snap and they couldn't handle it. And they would just escape and they'd run across the park and they'd be gone. And they just put out a warrant for their arrest. They called that running across the park. Okay. Or you could go ring the bell and sit down and, and, and the jail would come get you and you'd go back to prison. Whoa. And that's what would happen when you yeah. broke or snapped. Yeah. Or- and so, or if you couldn't take it, yeah. And so you're talking 20% of the people there graduate something like that. 20% graduate. And then of, and so recidivism is 15% or 85%, excuse me, 85% of people that get out of prison, go back. Okay. Right. Of regular, prison. of regular people, people that go to pier one and graduate. So only 20% of the people that go to gra- pier one graduate. And then of those people, it's like, it's like flipped around where 80% will stay out mm-hmm. if they've graduated pier one. Some maybe, maybe not that high, but it's, it's, it's way better. Right. Um, and so it's, it's a really good program, but, um, man, there was another point that I wanted to make in all of that with percentages. Oh, so when, when, in one of the craziest things was when I was in orientation, um, 
you sit in there and they tell you, and you think it's like hyperbolic and they're just trying to like drill sergeant scare you. They say, look around this room and there's like 15, 20 people in the room. And they're like, half of these people are going to be dead or in prison in five years. And you're like, whatever, you know, or they're like a third of these people are going to be dead. A third are going to be in prison. A third of you are going to make it. And I'm like, whatever, dude. Well, you know, I'm, I guess I've been out here out of the program for like eight or nine years now. Um, a bunch of them are dead, mm. over, over, you know, overdosed on drugs, died, killed somebody, went and did life in prison. And I mean, it's like, whoa. They were right about the They were the absolutely numbers. right. And it was rough, man. I know like when, when I get a phone call from Charles now, and I'll go back to Charles here in a minute, but when I get a phone call from Charles, 80% of the time, it's because one of our friends died. Goodness yeah, gracious. Hung themselves. Charles, doing, on drugs. Charles is still doing well? Yeah, so Charles... Um, Charles got married. Uh, I was the best man in his wedding. He's actually an elder at a Presbyterian church in, in uh, Highlands Ranch, which is a suburb of Denver. Uh, he is an elder there, and he does maintenance at the church, and he's also an elder, and he does a prison ministry and kind of a drug addiction wow. ministry there. Um, I got to be the best man in his wedding, and then my son is named after him, Charles. Very good. Yeah, and so it's also double entendre. My grandma Barb was married to a guy named Charles too, but Charles, right, that's just a big name in my life. Is two two pretty influential people. Um, so fast forward, get fast out. Forward. You're married. Where do you yeah. move to? Because I got to so, get I got to get you to eighteen, nineteen yeah, years. Yeah, At least that'll be the stopping yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Is when well, we get you here. That'll be another thirty minutes. We'll do but, another show. All right. So I'll wrap it up. So yeah, I get out. I graduate, and then I transfer my parole to Alabama. And we had actually bought a house in shorter Alabama, not knowing what Macon County was or anything like that. We just found this $96,000 house on this beautiful piece of land. And I'm in Colorado where everything's like 400 grand, you know, yeah. and I'm like, $96,000. Yes. Awesome. Right. So we bought it and I figured out why it was $96,000. It was in Macon County, but, um, not that there's anything wrong with that. No. Right. <laughs> you could be a winner, but, but I loved it. And, and I'm telling you, I lived off old federal road and all the people that lived up and down old federal road, oh. best neighbors you could ever have incredible people. There was like farms and, you know, uh, butcher shop. I mean, it's just a really, really cool like place. Like if you wanted a homestead and stuff. And so, but when I moved in, like I would meet people and they'd be like, you live in Macon County. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. even know what that means. Yeah. It's shorter Tuskegee, like victory land casino. Victory land. I mean, I on the way to Auburn. Do you even, do you even work here? <laughs> victory land? Nothing. No, I know victory land, <laughs> okay. but I'm saying, I don't know when you say Macon County. I yeah. don't know what that. It's so it's is. like between Montgomery County. I know and Lee where County. it is, right. but I don't oh, know what. It's just the, very rural. Is that and like saying you live poor? in North Shelby County? It, it's a very poor county. Like there's very similar schools. to North Shelby County. I'm yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Underperforming schools, a lot of crime. Um, okay. You know that kind of stuff, and okay. so and it's not like urban crime either. So it's you know I don't know I don't know how you'd explain it, but. You know, it was interesting. My last day, there's so many stories. My last day this. living in Shorter before I moved to Wetumpka. This is what we did. Um, there, was a, there was a high speed chase that like went from Auburn to Shorter and it ended in, in front of my house. There was like 26 cop cars, mostly state troopers. This dude gets out and runs and they run and tackle him. And this is in my front yard. This and I'm like, awesome. you're well, like, oh, I'm used to this. Well, I'm like, well, that was glad me. it's not me. Yeah, glad it's not me this time. And I'm moving to Wetumpka tomorrow. So. <laughs> So anyway, um, okay, I where was I bringing it back to 1819 news? So, um, we buy this house in shorter. Christina is here. I'm still trying to get my parole transferred. It takes forever. Um, she's pregnant with Gracie. So I don't know, maybe six, I don't know what the timing was, maybe six, eight months after we got married, she ends up getting pregnant with Gracie, uh, who is our oldest. Um, and then Brennan is my son who 
came with the marriage. He's awesome. He's a stud. Wonderful young man. You've met Brennan. He, have you yeah. met Brennan? No, I've not met Brennan. You'll Apparently have to. We'll bring him in. Amazing yeah. baseball yeah. player. He, is, he had six home runs in the uh, All Star season. Oh, very so good. I don't know that that's ever been done before, but it was pretty amazing. Strong. So yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. the biggest thing about Brennan that I like is the fact that he is um, a very faithful young man who's like, I don't know, I don't want to just go on bragging about my son. That's weird. But anyway, he's great. That's what I'll say. So um, they uh, are in, in shorter waiting on me to transfer down here. I finally transferred down here. And the job that I get is working in a group called USA Radio Networks because my friend that I went to church with in Denver was the, the chief operations officer of USA Radio Networks. He's like, hey, do you have a job when you get to Alabama? I'm like, no. And he goes, okay, well, you can work for me. You know, you're going to have to, you can work from home. You're going to have to train yourself, baptism by fire, sink or swim. But I think you'll figure it out. You're a good sales guy. And so I did, and I figured it out and helped USA Radio Networks. Their news product was really successful with it. I won't go into all the details, but made a name for myself. Lee Habib discovered me. Lee Habib created Laura Ingram's radio show back in right, 2001. Right. I remember that. Um he discovered me, wanted me to come help him grow his show. My deal with Lee was, hey, I'll help you grow my, I'll help you grow your show if you teach me everything you know. Right. And so I basically got to sit sit at the feet of Lee Habib for four years, four and a half years, learning everything about media, fundraising, politics, public policy, all this stuff from Lee. Absolute brilliant, He's a brilliant guy. guy, brilliant guy. So sat at his feet, learned everything from him. Took his show from eighty stations to three hundred and thirty stations. Um, did a deal with Premier and iHeart. That's as big as it gets in the business. Hit a total grand slam there, and again, this is all that like this is too good to be true, right? Waiting and you know, and yeah, and I finally got over the pianos falling out of the sky and just said, "Look, God obviously has something for me to do, and I'm just going to go out and do it every day with everything I have for right. His glory." That's it. Because if the piano don't does worry fall, about it's still yeah. His plan. Yeah, correct. Don't what are you going to do? Don't say that, Allison. Well, I'm just saying, like, I, no, I'm not saying it's going <laughs> to. I'm naming I'm, it and claiming it. No I'm pianos. saying as a believer. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to be like really. Philosophical, and, yes, and encouraging. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. She's being very encouraging. Very encouraging. Piano, yeah. piano, even if you do get it, it would be great. Jesus wanted it. <laughs> Somehow there was some encouragement. <laughs> yes. <in it>. Wow. <laughs> Can't wait to go okay. get life by the horns now. <laughs> Let's do something great. Okay. So, wait. So you're selling stuff. Yes, I'm selling stuff and things that aren't drugs. Okay. <laughs> so I'm helping. I help Lee grow his show. He teaches me everything he knows. Um, I'm also doing some, some big fundraising for national groups that are involved in politics and elections and, you know, advocacy and all this other stuff. Uh, I helped this group raise $6 million to help Donald Trump get reelected as well as all the down ballot Republicans. Mm -hmm. And so this is, you know, November, July of 2020 to November of 2020. And I'm working with this group, you know, 80 hours a week, blood, sweat, and tears, biggest election of our lifetimes. We've got to win. You know, and then after five months of just working like crazy around the clock, raising all this money, executing the strategy, doing all this stuff and watching what happened with the election. And you guys interviewed Greg Phillips. So I know I don't have to talk to you about Mm -hmm. what happened in that election. We got it. And so I just became disenfranchised with um, national politics, national public policy. We're not going to be able to fix D.C., national media, national this, national that. Rush Limbaugh is, had died either close to that or was about mm-hmm. to. I forget exactly what the timing was. I think he was. died before the election. Yeah, and so it was just like, you know, national, in my mind, national syndication was kind of not what it was. I knew that it was going to have some challenges. And so I'm like, man, wh- you know, what do we do? And so I'm kind of licking my wounds after this, um, you know, this lead up after all this work going up to the election. Then that happened. And um, I go to church, and my pastor is preaching on localism. Fathers fix your families. Families need to be in churches. Churches are part of communities. Community, city, city, county, county, state. This is how we win. So I go home, pray with my wife. God, how can I use my gifts, talents, abilities, resources, relationships to make a difference for my people in place here in Alabama? 
week later, Caleb Crosby calls me from the Alabama Policy Institute. Phil Williams is given, offered a spot in Huntsville to mm-hmm. replace uh, Rush Limbaugh in Huntsville. Mm-hmm. And so he's asking me questions about um, radio. And I'm a radio guy, so I'm answering all his questions, kind of helping them get some ideas of what they could do and you know how they could monetize it and blah, blah, blah. And uh, as we're talking... Um, me and Caleb were just like, you know, what would, what would be better? You know, not, not, I don't want to say better, but what we need as well as a radio show in Huntsville that will eventually be statewide is we need a statewide news and multimedia outlet to compete with AL.com. And I was, you know, I was pretty much done doing, I did everything I could do for Lee, got him with premier. And once Pr- premier picks up the show, premier is the network that I, that functions with iHeart. So premier owned mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh, premier owned Glenn Beck, premier right. owned Jim Rome, Pr- premier owns Delilah, premier owns, you know, uh, Sean Hannity. And so There's they own those big shows and then they put it on the iHeart stations. And so my job was growing the show and as big as you can grow it is to get it to iHeart and then they grow it. Right. And so I'd done what I could do. And this idea is like, the timing was perfect. Like God was all over this. I just prayed. How can I use my abilities to do this in Alabama? And then the president of the policy Institute calls me and we're like, Hey, you know, it's like, Whoa. And so I wrote out a mission vision plan on a budget for, for, for what we're all doing right now and got to work. And that the, the idea was about February, 2021. We started uh, July, 2021 and we began publishing in October of 2021. And the goal was to get up and running, um, and be firing on at least seven of eight cylinders, hopefully eight by the legislative session, the elections with the quadrennium and stuff. We did that. I was really proud of the way that we handled all that. Um, really made a name for ourselves. And I, I mean, I, I never thought in a million years we would have established our brand and our names into the hearts of Alabamians the way that we have in such a short time. As quickly. Unbelievable. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, because I, I, know, I know we do have to wrap up, but I've had two people in the last few days say – and and one knew my connection, the other one didn't. But just in conversation, say, well, I, uh, you know, I was reading eighteen nineteen news. Or, I saw this in eighteen nineteen news. Hey, I get the daily so and so from eighteen nineteen news, and I was like, mm, very very good. I mean, it's becoming very common. Yeah. And, and I think it's actually going through an exponential growth right now. Yeah. Just because word of mouth is starting to, yeah. to get it out there, and I throw yeah. people all. I'm telling them, hey, look, if you want to get the news, find out what's happening in Alabama, straight up, unbiased. You need to go to 1819 News. And and people are saying it just yeah. out of the clear blue sky. Well, while we're here, before we have to go, will you tell the story of how we got this podcast? Story, story, <laughs> stories. One more story. She One was that story. little kid, wasn't she? Please, was. Please, tell me another story. Please. So no, I just think, I don't I, know if we've ever told the story of how, I mean, it's not really much of a story. It's but it's, so, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, and here we are. So it's worth right. telling. Okay. So I had gotten an email um, saying that Amy Beth wanted to use our podcast studio with this lady named Allison. And I'm like, I mean, I guess that's fine, whatever. And I'd been told, uh, I forget, maybe Caleb or someone said, hey, you need to meet Allison. She's got this local group that's doing really cool work, getting you know people involved and running for office and blah, blah, blah. And so that same, like I got the email and I saw Allison's name, got the text message from Caleb saying Allison's name. And I'm like, I think I need to, I guess I need to call Allison. <laughs> And so I called Allison and she was walking up a hill, which is every so time I call, like, which, is, so which is every time I call Allison, she's I'm walking good. up a hill. No, it's so sad because <laughs> it, it was a flat road right outside uh, of my house. I thought it was Mount Everest, but you know. Nope. I'm walking. It was so That's flat. Okay. I remember where I was. <laughs> Walked across the street to get the mail. <laughs> nope. No Everest. She wanted to tell the story. Yes. Yeah, so. Sorry. I, I earned it. And, um, uh, 
So, um, and I'm like, hey, um, I'm heard you're having an uh, event or whatever. You know, can I come speak at the event? Tim James was doing um, a thing. And so I come up here and, and or come up to wherever it was at some country club somewhere. And um, Tim James spoke. Uh, who was the lady on the marijuana that spoke? Christine, Christine Carr. Christine Carr spoke. Yeah, and then I got up and kind of gave my little thing. And then um, Allison came over and started talking to me about the podcast. I'm like, yeah, I got the email about you and Amy Beth wanted to possibly do a podcast. And I'm like, I think that would be fabulous, right? And 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 so the, the crux of it is this, is that, you know, one of the things that Lee taught me in my learning about media, the biggest hit that radio has taken other than Rush Limbaugh dying is when Dr. Laura went away. Right. Okay. And so Dr. Laura, her audience, you know, was women, right. And women stay at home moms specifically. And the audience, the biggest media audience, I think that, that there ever has been is Oprah's audience and Oprah's mm-hmm. audience is, um, stay at home, conservative women. Right. Um, really? Yeah. That's, Oprah's that's how she made well, it. Was. Think back yeah, in the was. day. Yeah. Before she endorsed Barack Obama, yeah. that was her. Okay. Seriously. And that was her, her, the downfall of her career is when she endorsed Barack Obama and then because she chose that. Anyway, you you can kind of see. She didn't really know her audience because it was all you know, women, women, women power. You get a car, you get a car. Everybody gets a car. Women power, and that was her whole show. And then when it came time to endorse Hillary or Barack, she went with Barack. She went with Barack. Yeah, and they're like, I thought it was woman power. What happened here? I guess it's black power. Right. And she lost a whole bunch of. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was a story. Yes. So anyway, so that's the segment that's missing. Yeah. Is is that there's no one that is speaking. And, and, and if you look across the landscape, who are that's the people that are most? We asked you on your score. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll get there. So, <laughs> but uh, I think we're done. You, you, <laughs> you can you can create content that hits that audience as well as a broader audience, but no one was directly hitting that audience really. If you look out across the political landscape, for better or for worse, the people who are most involved in politics right now are moms. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of stay-at-home moms and, and they're the women ones helping and save the country. They're the it's ones them. To fight it's, at the school It's a boys. bunch of Debras right now because right now going with Barack Obama is a bunch of Baracks. And you know that story in the Bible is Barack's like, "I'm scared. I don't want to go." And she's like, "If I go with you, will you go?" No, I'm scared. And then so because Barack wasn't supposed to or was scared to. Deborah goes Deborah and does. does, right? And she's honored for it. And so I would love to see more men stepping up. And I think that's starting to happen. And that's a big part of what my podcast is about. Um, but I'm super thankful for the women that are stepping up. And I want to make mm-hmm. sure that they've got information that they need. And they have content that entertains, engages, you know, right. teaches them the things that they need to know so that they can go out and be active and participate in their civic duty. So that was my thought when she brought me this is all that those things just started going off. And I'd met Amy Beth before and how talented and incredible she is. See, obviously got to see Allison speak that night. Wow. Right. And they said, well, we need someone. And it's funny <laughs> that we need like a Chris Fowler. And I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, Chris Fowler. And I'm like, go Google Chris Fowler because I didn't know who Chris Fowler he was. no idea. <laughs> no clue. You were in prison, though. Yeah, it's true. Uh, there's a lot of Chris Fowler in there. You didn't so. get to watch yeah. Game Day. Right. That's right. So. <laughs> Um, but what she was basically saying is like, it would be really good to have like, um, a a male presence in there that could be somewhat of a mediator or something. And, um, you were the first person that came to mind. I was like, I would And you and I had talked before. Yeah. Yeah. Which was weird. Yeah. And so I'm like, I think he, you know, he's not Chris Fowler, but I think you guys would compliment each other really, really well. Um, we went and met for the first time in the conference room. If you guys remember that. And, and we basically should have recorded that. (laughs) Because we basically just had a podcast yeah. and we were in there for like it's two good. hours. And I knew at the end of that, I'm like, this is going to be great. Although I was still 
not sure how Scott felt about us. Why? I don't you always know. Bring that up. I, d- I know. Well, because I, I just, I couldn't get a read on you. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to be miserable. But then one time you admitted that you liked us way more than you thought you would. <laughs> and I knew we I were going to be okay. Yeah, it's like well, all good. I mean, and I'll, t- I'll tell you, because there's been so many efforts through the years. Somebody will come along and bring something, and, and it's just not real. It's not genuine. It's, it's hey, we want to get in front of this curve. We want to get in front of this all this conservatism stuff. It sounds all good, but it's it's not people who really believe in it. Right. And, and the difference like with, our legislators. with yeah. With what we have on this podcast and, and with you and with the effort, it's, it's, it's genuine. We're yeah. really trying to tell people the truth, ask people to think, bring things before folks and say, look, this is what's really happening. What do you, th- how, how do we fix it? How do we move ahead? And I just thought kind of early on, okay, great. We've been through this before. Another- it's going to be pointy headed and gracious, but everybody is, I don't the, know what that means, is the real deal. I pointy-headed. mean, pointy headed's kind of, um, Karen like, and Kyle esque, you know what I'm talking about. I, I went to we Coneheads. We just or want I went to, to do something. They, they, oh, they're, yeah, just, yeah. they're just not real. Yeah, and uh, they say the right things, but yeah. when push comes to shove, they don't actually believe it. They just know I'm supposed to say this because I think that's what the people want to yeah. hear, especially every four years. And yes, yep. So, well, and I think part of why this works is because we actually do hash out and have sincere conversation. Like I we'll bounce things off of you in real time, you know, and we can kind of talk about it and be open and honest that we don't have all the answers and bring Um, and try to bring people in who, who might or have, who would have a different experience. We're just, I mean, even people from prison. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Don't let anybody on this show. Okay. I have to say one more thing. Okay. One more story. You, Um, my favorite part. This is two episodes. How long is it? You don't want to know. Keep going. Are you serious? We're not. We're not in Greg Phillips' land yet, so we're okay. still good. Well, with your mom. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. you. Thank I you. knew it. Thank, thank you. you. That's my favorite. All right. So, so favorite many cool part. stories. So, my mom about three or four years ago got saved. Awesome. Um, she's doing incredibly well. She lives with us. She gets to be me, mom to the kids, um, and she's basically gotten a whole other uh, lease on life, essentially. And so, it's really cool because you know she went through a lot, and you know sometimes when I've shared my testimony, I've kind of given more details and, and less, but you know, she, she went through a lot as a child, has gone through a lot as an adult, um, and, you know, was not in a good place mentally, emotionally, and um, what God's done in her life has really been amazing. And so for her to be able to live with me and then not only live with me, but also be me, mom to the kids, and my kids just love her unconditionally. They, like, that is their favorite person. And I got a bunch of kids. That's so, so sweet. That is awesome. Yeah. I love it. It's like Thank it's you for saying that. Good, good deal. Just redemption. Like, I don't care where you are in life. God can redeem it. You're never too far. I actually teared up at one point when, I don't know if you saw it, but I sucked it back in. <laughs> like It's just, I don't know, it's a good reminder. I think if you had been born way back, you would be in the Bible. That's, I don't know that's if that's pretty good, good or bad. Yeah, that is that's pretty high praise. I'm blushing out of my beard again. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we appreciate y'all watching. Brian Dawson has been our guest. He's been fantastic. He's a great story. We'll have him back another time to really talk about what the, the goals and the efforts behind 1819 News are. We appreciate you being on, Brian, and, and giving us your testimony, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Don't forget to go to all the places you watch uh, you watch or listen to podcasts, whether it's over at Apple or Spotify or what did you say you added? Podbean. To? Podbean. We are on Podbean. Did you get us Podbean. added to that? Go to Podbean. Just, 
Podbean, though. It's you don't a little do app. No, you, you go you to Pod, Podbean and Buzzsprout feed to Apple Podcasts. You can't listen to it over I mean, you there? You can, but nobody yeah. does. I do. Very technologically Weirdo. savvy people. I have do. an app. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, but oh. YouTube does not like YouTube. <laughs> or Amy Beth. So you see what so I did we're there? On so we're, that was good. We're yeah, going to so, rumble. So we rumble um, with Alabama Unfiltered. So you guys have a, an unhealthy relationship with I the YouTube. I would be sad like if it. we weren't in trouble with Yeah, YouTube. no, I'm super. I don't know Why how do I have Why do you not get kicked off? I don't know, but I'm Because you're not as conservative as we are. Apparently they feel bad for me because I'm a felon. <laughs> That's what got you in. They're like, yeah. he's got to be good. Yeah, he's, we, he was yeah. in prison. Yeah. I don't know. I challenge you <laughs> to get kicked guys. off, Brian Dawson. I, I mean, today might do it. I don't know. I, we recorded earlier, Ooh. so we'll see. But Ooh. thank you all for watching. We appreciate it, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. See y'all.